Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From from billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. Smithy uh, down, unfortunately, with the flu. Uh, fingers crossed uh, he is back for you tomorrow. Get well soon, Smithy, and uh, we'll continue on uh, the show in his stead today. Uh, coming up on the show, Lyndon Bray, the Tasman Markle CEO, he's going to join us, and we are going to talk about fanatics, what that means for fans of Tasman rugby and how they can get involved. Also, also Modi Mayor, of course, the Breakers head coach now, he has taken over and Jarrell Brantley has been announced this morning. Fresh from playing five games for the LA Clippers in the NBA Summer League. He spent two seasons with the Utah Jazz as well. Was picked, I think, 50th in the uh, NBA draft a couple of seasons ago. So, yeah, a great signing for the Breakers. We'll get uh, Modi's take on that and the and the the way that they're building that roster for the coming uh, NBL season is pretty exciting. It's gone back to that Kiwi core, which you like to see. Also, Greg Murphy, after 10, we're going to talk about uh, the Bend race course and supercars this weekend. Uh, does he expect Andre Heimgardner to go back to back? Also, after 11 o'clock, Shiraz Soysa, he's the head coach of New Zealand's national flag football team. Uh, flag football is like the touch version of American football, if you like, okay? And uh, he does work for the NFL as well. They're, they're trying to get a foothold here in New Zealand. They're looking at athletes. They're holding combines, that sort of stuff. But also, the NFL wants flag football to be an Olympic sport when the Olympics are in LA in 2028. So we will talk to Shiraz about that after 11. Of course, we have the panel with Andrew Gordy and Mark Watson as well, and your opportunity to play Stumped by Smithy closer to 12 o'clock. And just uh, breakfast, forgot to do the plug, but uh, tomorrow morning, they have got some some New Zealand sporting royalties. Been a bit quiet of late, uh, cleaning cars at his cafe, but Matthew Ridge is going to be in with breakfast tomorrow morning, so make sure you tune in for that. Uh, Ridgie on breakfast here on SENZ tomorrow morning, but Time to welcome to the show uh, the man who is running the cutter now for the Tasman Marco. Maybe not from a coaching point of view, but from an admin point of view, Lyndon Bray. G'day, Lyndon. How you doing? Oh, I'm extremely well. How are you, Ricardo? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for giving us some time today. Really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to us about Fanatics, this new campaign that you guys have launched. Can you tell us a bit about how fans can get involved with this? Well, it's a, for me, I just think it's a really exciting opportunity, uh, both for us as a as a union and for our fans to to really connect in a meaningful way. So the whole concept of this is that by 
becoming uh, an owner in italics. Obviously, you're not going to make a profit out of this deal, just mm. in case you're thinking you might, <laughs> might be a good investment. Um, but you're, in effect, you're donating to what I think is a great cause, where through the support of your Marco uh, team and your ownership, you're allowing us to build our investment into the community game. So the whole concept of this fund uh, that we're looking to build with our fans is, is a community initiative in terms of its expenditure. Um, so you're doing that through your love of the Marco and the way in which they play their footy uh, and your commitment to making sure that as a union we can really invest in our clubs and our age group rugby and, and really rebuild that game at the grassroots level. The, I mean, that's the thing here. I mean, I, I think a lot of Kiwi rugby fans here, uh, you know, Tasman, and, and they affiliate that with the, the Marco uh, uh, particularly, but, you know, it's not just about that top team, is it? There, is, there are so many layers, and, and it's about the grassroots of the footy in the region as well. Well, our, one of our biggest initiatives uh, in the last year has been to build what I call a local talent um, initiative. So our... Our ambition is to ensure that our Marco team is 80% built on local talent. And, and we define that by uh, men and women who choose to live and therefore work or study and play their, their rugby in Nelson or Glenham in that catchment. And by virtue of that, they win a contract to play for the Marco. And, uh, and that 80% means that those players, uh, until such time as they head off into the, the heady realms of super rugby, they're actually playing club footy in the region, and, and so therefore the clubs benefit from that 80% initiative. Um, and we're, we're basically there now, which is really, really good news around the strength of our, our squad. Uh, it is very strongly locally based. Uh, we've signed up six development young, young lads who have come out of uh, high school rugby who are from our region, uh, who are staying in the region. Um, so this, this fund and this ability to become an owner enables us to maintain our community spend uh, and not have to spend it on buying players into the region. I think that's a, a really important part of what this initiative is about. Um, and all you've got to do um, is log into beafanatic, and that's F-I-N uh, dot N-Z, beafanatic.nz. Uh, it's only going to cost you $55 a year for five years. That's your donation and commitment. And I think one of the really uh, cool things that you're going to get is a behind-the-scenes portal where you can actually interact with the Marco team, see them training. Uh, you'll see pre-match interviews and a bit of pre-match warm-ups. You'll see the change rooms, uh, how the team is, is set up. Uh, you'll see interviews with the players. Um, the players themselves are going to drive a lot of that. So it's going to be very authentic, um, very natural with, with the boys themselves. Um, you're going to get an opportunity to hear from the coaches every week uh, and we'll also share some Tasman Rugby Union initiatives as we go along so that's more of the boring stuff like me uh, talking about what we're actually trying to achieve out in the community so that won't be available to the mainstream um, in, in the first instance that's, that's your special domain as a, as a fan owner how many uh, of these uh, fanatics are you hoping to attract, and do you have a limit on numbers? Well, the initial uh, investment that we're driving is 10,000 fans. Uh, we're hoping that by the end of this NPC season, we, we'll have hit the 2,500 mark, which, which would be amazing. Um, 
and there's going to be some watch this space uh, opportunities with this. So we we want it to be relatively meaningful for the fans who choose to become um, figurative owners of the market. Uh, so down the track, we're hoping through our board to agree some opportunities for the fans to be engaged with some of our decision making, and I, I think that'll be a a really meaningful uh, asset for the fans. And you know, when you think of the marker, you've, you've got a brand which I think is probably second to none in the provincial space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, it rivals the Crusaders and the All Blacks brands as a standalone brand. Uh, so we think we've got fans all around the world who don't therefore live in Nelson and Blenheim. They can't go to Trafalgar Park or Lansdowne Park, but they would love to support uh, the Marco and what we stand for. Uh, and I think a lot of that is driven by the way we play our rugby and the fact that we have built a very strong local culture, uh, a lot of you know strong Marco identities um, in our game. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, a, a meaningful voice, whether that's, you know, a, a combined seat on the board or, you know, an opportunity to sit down with the likes of yourself and, and, and other decision makers uh, before big decisions have made, because I think that really gives the, the, the Fanatics Club and their ownership uh, some, some real meaning outside of obviously getting, you know, access to all the exclusive stuff that you just talked about. How far away do you think it is from that happening? Oh, look, I would say we would be within three to six months of, of starting to talk that language. Um, you know, once we get the base and once we understand uh, what we have available to us through that fan engagement, then, you know, we've already talked about the different types of ideas and opportunities that exist. And, you know, as you say, it might, it might be that uh, you can actually bring the fans together and, and that's probably on an online basis where you can actually genuinely talk about the game and uh, the health of the game and the uh, the region itself and, and how can the, the fan owners support that. So that there's definitely ways and means that we can make it meaningful and that, that's certainly our intention. Um, you know, up front you get a, a beautiful certificate. You've got your name and unique number on it. And it is a pretty cool certificate actually which uh, embraces the ideology and the, the iwi support of the marco. Um, and the jersey design, so the certificate replicates um, that imagery. Uh, but I think down the track, you know, the ability to actually engage with what the Marco is about online, and then equally to have an opportunity to be a part, you know, have a voice, if you like. I, I think that's that's the really meaningful part that people will embrace. On. I'm certainly hoping. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I kind of, it's it's at times like this, Lennon, that you start to have a bit of FOMO if you're not born and bred in the Tasman region, right? Uh, I mean, I'm a born and bred <laughs> Aucklander and I'm going, oh, this is exciting, this is something that I want to be a part of. Um, I would imagine that fan engagement at the moment, you know, uh, one of the first things that you guys will be looking at is how you can commemorate, uh, I know it wasn't Tasman then, but, you know, uh, next year is 50 years since Marlborough won the Shield um, against Canterbury at Lancaster Park. I, I imagine... You'll want to remember yep. that in, in, in some way. And maybe that's something, one of the first things you'll be doing with the fans is trying to figure out how they want to engage that, how they want to celebrate and remember that. Oh, 100%. And, uh, you know, again, with uh, with the way social media works these days, um, we, we want to push good stuff out into the, the mainstream, of course, but it also allows us to give these owners a touch point first. So, you know, you heard this first here. Um, so there is definitely a, a FOMO aspect to all of that. 
um, it's it's also an opportunity like for them to hear from the coaches and actually understand a little bit more detail for those fanatics that you know hence the name mm. um, the fanatics that actually want to know a little bit more detail you know, why why do you play in a certain way um, why do you make certain selections at certain time you know they're the sort of questions that the fans could feel through a, um, a, a medium that we have that the coaches can then consider and when they come online they can actually address those types of questions so you know, I, I just think from our point of view, and you know, it's been a brainchild of Les Edwards, who's who's been our amazing commercial manager for the last ten years, and uh, I just think the initiative has got so much merit in terms of what you can do with it over time. Uh, and I think importantly in today's world, we we want to have engagement and connection with what we're involved with. And you know, to go to your point, um, which is why we think this this will work well. If I do live in Auckland and obviously I support Auckland, you, you often hear the statement that my second favourite team is the marker. Mm. And I think that's the, the crutch to people going, you know what, I don't live in Tasman, but I love the way they play. I love what they stand for. We're the youngest provincial union in the country. We've come a long way in 16 years, uh, and we've, we've stood proud against the Canterbury's and the Wellingtons and the Aucklands, um, made the final in the, the last three years in a row. So... You know, I think there's a there's a bit of magic in all of that that people would like to just have that little piece of. I'll tell you something else that they might want a little piece of, Lyndon, is is you know you talk about these uh, the, these fanatic opportunities to to talk to the players each week or talk to the coaches, ask meaningful questions, have meaningful dialogue, and that that would be, you know, whether that uh, is a is a big uh, Zoom meeting or, or however you do it, but uh, an evening with uh, Lyndon Bray because, I mean, you've got a colourful background yourself. Obviously, you've been a, a top, top referee. You've run referees as well. Now you're running a, a provincial union. I'm sure you've got uh, plenty of uh, stories. You'd be a fantastic after-dinner speaker. I'm sure that's something that you can uh, <laughs> you, you can dangle there for a few uh, fanatics. That sounds to me like you should become my agent. Um, <laughs> But that look, that's uh, that's definitely part of it. And interviews with some pretty uh, strong rugby identities, and you, know, you think of the people who've gone through the marker, and you could really identify the Leon McDonalds, who have you know gone on to bigger and brighter things. Uh, Andrew Goodman, who's been an absolute marker champion. Um, you know, these are guys. David Avili up there in the All Blacks, key leader in the community. Uh, Ethan Blackadder, homegrown boy. I mean, these are the sort of guys who clearly will will be interviewed and will tell their stories. And it's sort of a little bit like the the day in the life of each of these key people that we can put up on the portal for the, the fan owners to be able to tap into. And the beauty of it is they they can log in and watch those interviews and those stories at any time. Um, you imagine over twelve months how much good content's going to be in there um, around different identities and different stories about the market. So. Yeah, I, I think it's really exciting. Um, time will tell whether we've hit the mark, but uh, I, I really think it's a great initiative for fans to get uh, engaged into. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like a, a really good initiative and something um, a little bit different that no one else in New Zealand has done. In terms of, you know, I know you talked about Les coming up with this idea, but have you have you looked overseas at any other pro setups that have run something similar? And and you know, sort of, what did you learn maybe from those? Absolutely. Uh, the, one of the things Les did initially was really study very closely the Green Bay Packers. Uh, now they they actually went the whole hog where the you know the ownership was was genuinely ownership in terms of uh, putting funds in, into the Green Bay Packers and, and creating a, an amazing model. 
and that and and they uh, basically had the same deal. You know, you're not expecting anything back from that. It's a donation, really, to support the cause of your team. You know, the team that you love. Uh, and so, merchandising the portal for more interaction and information about your team. Um, that that was all part of the Green Bay Packers model, and that, and their their success was huge. Um, we also looked at models like in Europe with the uh, the football. Um, you look at how Liv- the Liverpools of the world and the Man Uniteds. Um, we also looked at um, South Sydney Rabbitohs, uh, who have had a very successful uh, campaign around fan membership. So we looked at uh, quite a few different models about how are they engaging their fans to the extent that that fans are actually prepared to spend their money and invest. Uh, in that particular brand, you know, why do they do that? And and I think we've been really, really fortunate to have created a, a a specific brand which has just taken off. You know, so you've got the Marco, you've got the you've got the Shark, and the thing that brought it all together was the fins up. So now you see Marco players all around the world, um, whether they're playing for the Crusaders, whether they're playing for the All Blacks, whether they're playing for Ireland. Uh, you see them do the fins up and they score a try. Now, that's a, a extraordinary impact of your brand. So when we sat down together a year ago, we said, look, we, you know, when Liz shared the idea with me, I said, we have got to actually make this work because who's got that brand uh, in our, our provincial environment other than ourselves? You know, we've got to actually leverage that and invest uh, in our fans who, who love that whole market and fins up identity. So it's a, it, I think people do have a real sense of belonging or a sense of identity with the Marco. And, and you know, as I say, for a young brand, uh, I think we've been extremely fortunate with how that's taken off. And I'd imagine this will go along with a, a launch of, of maybe a new merch range as well um, because it's so iconic, the Marco Shark. Um, how much uh, input do you give or do you go to, for, uh, to the local iwi for that, um, you know, just to make sure you get everything bang on? Yeah, that's that's been a very major part of the evolution, if you like, of the the Marco jersey, and I, I think it's a great jersey. Uh, obviously, red is a great colour to have. Um, when you look at successful brands around the world, red's a pretty uh, a pretty strong, vibrant uh, part of some of the biggest brands around the world in sport. Uh, the the design uh, from our eight iwi and the, the top of the South Island has been a, a major. Um, part of the evolution of our jersey uh, we'd like to think when we had the controversy around the S you know, if you remember back mm. in the early days it was the Marcos which of course is completely incorrect in, in Maori language and the union took that on board uh, after receiving all the feedback and we finally dropped the S and ever since then um, as folklore would have it we've, we've had extreme good fortune so uh, They've come on that journey with us. You know, we'd we'd like to say that we've got a really strong connection uh, with with the roots of of what the marco actually stands for in the region, uh, and obviously the the blend of the blue and the red, the Marlborough and the Nelson. Um, all of that is it tells a really fascinating story, and I, I think it behoves us to make sure that as part of this journey, we we take the fans on that 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 story storyboard, if you like. So. You know, what's next with that? Well, one thing's for sure. Uh, you don't um, mess with with the icon of the brand. So, you know, the Marco, the Shark, the Fins Up, I think, will, will be there to stay forever. And 
all we need to do is make sure that we continue to go on a journey that supports uh, great players who play great rugby and, uh, and very well supported around the world. Mm. And with a great CEO as well, Lyndon. And I, I don't say that lightly. I've actually got a question that's come through. You know, you talk about fan engagement. Well, we have listener engagement here. And uh, there's a listener we have out of the South Island uh, called, uh, Je- he calls himself Jeff the Ref. And he sent this text through. And I'll just ask you this uh, as one last thing, mate, before we let you go. Would you consider being the CEO of uh, New Zealand Rugby when uh, Robertson steps down eventually? <laughs> That's another good question. Well, again, you, you're going to have to become my agent. Um, <laughs> you're doing a great job of promotion. Um, look, that's a role that uh, I think anyone in rugby would see as a huge privilege uh, to, to step into that, a uh, huge responsibility. And there's a long way to go in my CEO career before I, I would feel that I'm in a position to go, yep, that's that's a job for me. Um, but there's one thing for sure. and uh, better than my heart. Uh, has been every decade of my life, uh, like so many Kiwi boys. Uh, always wanted to be an All Black, failed that goal um, extremely admirably, actually. Uh, <laughs> but became a, a referee, and I'd certainly uh, advocate for people to understand uh, the beauty of refereeing uh, in our game. Yes, it's challenging, but it's a great career. Uh, we all want to see New Zealand rugby in the All Blacks. Uh, right up there at the top of the tree and be and be proud of that. So would I consider it down the track? Absolutely. Uh, but that's a long way off yet. Yeah, good stuff, Lyndon. All right. Hey, mate, thanks very much for giving us so much time this morning. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with your Fanatics initiative and the coming uh, Bunnings NPC season with Tasman Marco as well. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, Lyndon Bray with us, the CEO of the Tasman Rugby Union. It is 9.23 here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 9.28 here on Mornings with Smithy. Ricardo in for Smithy. He's not feeling too well. Fingers crossed uh, he gets better and we'll be back with you tomorrow. A reminder that Matthew Ridge is in with breakfast tomorrow morning, so make sure you tune in for that. Of course, uh, new addition to the All Black coaching ranks is Jason Ryan, the former Crusaders forwards coach. He spoke yesterday and it was great to hear him like a breath of the, fresh air. The, the key areas that you've identified that need to improve with the All Blacks pack? Well, we're going to stop malls, um, that's for sure. So there's a little bit of work that needs to go in, into that um, in our contact area. And I, I just think there's, um, you know, we've stripped a little bit out of our um, stuff today and just concentrate on the critical few things and just be a little bit more clear on what we're trying to do, which will help our contact area, really. There's no hiding from it. The, the all-black pack, is, it's been dented. Um, it really has been in the jerseys. You know, we talked about it in the Fords meeting today. We, we didn't hide anything. We, we were really, really honest, and we have to be. Some are still asking why you've decided to take on this All Blacks gig under extreme pressure um, when we've always associated you with the Crusaders and Scott Robertson. Why, why did you decide to take on Yeah, I'll answer that really clearly. It's a chance to coach my country, and it's a dream to always be an All Blacks Fords coach, and I can't wait to get into it. Do you sort of, can you recognise a little bit of irony in you being on Razor's ticket first time round and now you're coming on Foster's? No, I'm on the all-black ticket. Through from the teammate, but who's just been... 
Yeah, there you go. That is uh, Jason Ryan, of course, said, talking there with Andrew Gordy and others yesterday. Gordy is going to be part of our panel. We'll talk to him about his take on Jason Ryan and what he's going to add to the All Blacks. Coming up shortly, Modi Mayor, the head coach of the New Zealand Breakers, they made a new signing today, Jarrell Brantley, ex-Utah Jazz player. He'll join us after the latest in news and sport with Araha. It's good morning. This is SENZ Mornings with Smithy. Smithy away crook, uh, unfortunately. Uh, fingers crossed he is well enough to be back for you tomorrow. Uh, Ricardo Ball in for him and uh, joining us now is the head coach of the New Zealand Breakers, Modi Mayor. G'day Modi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks mate. Uh, all the all the better for seeing uh, a great new signing in Jarrell Brantley for uh, the Breakers for the upcoming uh, NBL 23 season. How has the club managed to get a guy with such a good CV down here to play in the uh, ANBL? Well, it's a mixture of a bunch of things. Uh, we identified him very early. Once we knew Simi uh, had his heart set on playing overseas, we knew we needed to fill big shoes. And JB's circumstances seemed like something we maybe could be able to sneak into, um, put in a lot of work in their recruiting, and it also shows to the growth of the NBL and the breakers themselves. Well, I was going to say... The, I was going to ask you about this in terms of where the NBL or the ANBL, I should say, sits uh, from a global point of view. I mean, obviously the NBA is the pinnacle, but you know we've got a lot of very good European leagues. It feels like uh, the ANBL is now starting to rival those as a destination for guys from, say, the NBA Summer League. You're not wrong. Um, the discrepancy in salary is still there. The top leagues in Europe pay more and a player can make more money over the season. But the NBL is perceived as a pathway to the NBA and as a place where you can come and develop and grow. And if that's what you have your sights on, then the NBL is very appealing. And in all our inputs, we've targeted players who are on the way up, a little bit younger, uh, not on the high end of their career, and hoping to maximize on that pathway. I mean, Jarrell comes to us, uh, he's played in the NBA Summer League for the Clippers, they went 2-3, and three. he's got some very good numbers there, he's, he's only 26, uh, and of course he's had a couple of seasons at the Utah Jazz, uh, where he played, I think, 40 games of NBA basketball. In terms of NBA experience and trajectory, it feels like this could be the best import that the Breakers have signed in terms of a player at that stage of his career. Could be, no, I'm definitely in the past three years since I've been here. Um, what JB really stands out of for people who haven't met him yet is really who he is as a person. Um, we're looking to rebuild and remodel who we are and how we do things, and JB's going to be a big factor in this. He's an NBA player from talent. He's an NBA player with his body type and physical capabilities, but he's, a, he's the highest quality of a competitor that you can look for, and it's exactly what we need in our locker in terms of the rebuild for the Breakers, obviously, you know, last year was um, was something that I think every Breakers fan wants to forget, and, and you'll probably be a part of that, but uh, the, only, the only way is up, right? Um, so what were the conversations you had with Matt Walsh uh, and the ownership team about how the change in direction in, in terms of recruitment? Because it feels like it's gone very much back to we need to start again and we need to think again. Yeah, you know, when you have, I mean, we, there's a lot of circumstances that led to us having a bad season, but you can only look at the ones that you can control, right? Some of it is out of our hands and some of it is of our own making. 
Um, we identified individuals with specific characteristics as people. Uh, we're looking at specific characteristics on the court. Definitely emphasized defense and intensity a little bit more than previous years. Um, had a nice little think, and I'm happy that I've been given the opportunity to kind of bring in the people that I think fit my philosophy. It's a team that's got some physicality. It's got a Kiwi core about it. It's got, um, you know, uh, someone like Will McDowell-White who who offers something uh, from, a, from a point guard point of view. We've got, I think, room for one more import. Where are you looking there um, and, and in terms of positionally? Because it looks like we've got enough big men. Is, is that going to be a point guard? Well, it's not, well, you're not wrong. It's going to be a guard. It's not going to be a point guard. The point guard position is for Will and Isaiah. Uh, which are two very important players that I also see playing together. We're looking to add another guard. Um, he needs to fit the mold of the things that we've been looking for, right? The competitiveness, the intensity. Uh, if we're looking at the offensive side, we're looking with somebody with a little bit of a scoring punch mm-hmm. who can create his own offense a little bit, can create for others. Um, we have a few very interesting names on the books, and I think our fans are going to be really happy with where we land. Are you looking at somebody out of the summer league that you've obviously you've been over there? You've met with uh, the ownership group in, in Vegas, and you've been watching summer league. So is it somebody there, or uh, how much of an eye are you keeping on the New Zealand uh, the sales NBL? Because we seem to have uh, quite a bit of quality running around here this season. So we're definitely focusing on the sales NBL big time. Right? We've watched almost every game within our staff. We're tracking all of the young players. Um, there's great young Kiwi talent on the floor, and you can see players growing and developing. It's really exciting. By the way, the coaching has also been really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, our import is not going to come from the Southland NBL. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be from Summer League either. Um, Summer League does attract a certain type of player, right? A certain type of player, a certain type of age, a certain type of skill set. Potentially um, could be there, but if I need to guess, then no. Yeah. Somebody who has a little bit of experience overseas, somebody who has a little bit of a proven track record. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're looking for. Yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's all right. We Pre-show, uh, Logan, who's producing the show, and myself, we're, we're, we're scrambling around trying to figure out how who the next import could be. The, the name that we came up with was Jared West, who's obviously playing at the Nelson Giants, but mm-hmm. you, you seem to have put a, a line through that name. So, I mean, Jared West is great. Um, I'm a big fan of what he's done. For me, he's been the most impactful import in the NZBL. Um, the similarities between him and Isaiah kind of make him irrelevant mm-hmm. to us. Um, and I think his biggest advantages are as a point guard, where, like I said, we need a little bit more of a scoring punch. Yep. Uh, but Nelson Giants have been great, and there's also some young, talented Kiwis in, on the Nelson Giants that we really like. Uh, preseason starts August the 15th for the Breakers, so you, you, you've got, what, a couple of weeks uh, to identify and, and, and sign uh, that last import. How far away do you expect that news to be? Yeah, fairly soon. Next couple of days, hopefully. Oh, I'll tell you what, uh, Marty, I would not like to play poker against you. It's <laughs> a <laughs> good thing. <laughs> it's a very good thing, my friend. It's a very good thing. I, um, we, we mentioned briefly, you know, sort of last season and the, and the lessons from last season. Of course, it's going to be a lot different this season. You're going to be at home. You get, you get to play the jack jumpers here as your first home game. Of course, you do start in Melbourne. How much of a difference do you think that makes? Um, not just from a physical point of view of, of uh, you know, having the Aussies come over here and travel, but from a, from a mental point of view is that you're not all living in each other's pockets and you get a little bit of a break. Oh, it's somewhere between a sigh and relief and a huge dose of excitement. 
Um, not living in each other's pockets is great, but it's more, it's less about what we're not doing and more about what we are. We get to live in New Zealand. We get to live in Auckland. We get to play at Spark. We get to play in front of our fans. So forget about what we get not to do. It's about what we get to do. And there's a lot of great things to be excited about. And uh, you can feel the, the energy and the vibe within the group. You can feel the energy and the vibe in our building. Um, we're all super excited and 7th of October can't come soon enough. Yeah, exactly. We're all looking forward uh, to that and looking forward to the season starting. Of course, you get it underway against Melbourne United on the second, right? Is that, is that correct? You're correct. Yeah, over over in Melbourne. And that, uh, that that's, I mean, uh, how does it feel for from a breaker's point of view? I mean, I, obviously, you know, we've, we've touched on last season, but you, you get to you get to be in the lead game, the lead-off game for the season against, uh, you know, one of the star teams of the season in Melbourne. I mean, that that's quite nice getting to be at the forefront, right? hundred percent. Listen, we just want to play. I'm really excited to see this group hit the floor. I'm very excited about what we have in our locker room. And yeah, great tests and good, ta- good challenges are, you know, what we live for. And going back to Melbourne, which you might say was the scene of the crime for last year, and mm. getting up against Melbourne United, which is always a formidable opponent, is a great challenge for us to have. And yeah, we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, how are you feeling in the in the head coaching role? Obviously, you know there was a lot of talk about when Dan left that the uh, this was always a pathway for you. It just may have come a season earlier than than you and the breakers uh, back team uh, backroom staff and, and and admin were expecting. So, how how are you feeling about that, that, those head coaching shoes? Happy, excited, uh, enthusiastic, and at the same time very aware of the responsibility that's on my shoulders. I'm very aware of what the breakers mean to the community here and what they mean to Auckland and to New Zealand. And um, we want to put a product that represents who we are. And I understand my responsibility in this and do the best I can to make everybody proud. Uh, Given that you worked with Dan closely for for quite some time, how different will your breakers look to his breakers in terms of the style of basketball? (laughs) I mean... uh, if you watched our games and you kind of been around us, then you know that me and Dan are very different people. Mm. You know, we have different demeanors. We have a different approach to life. We value different things. There are a lot of similarities, too. Uh, if you look at it from the X's and O's, like nitty-gritty standpoint, uh, this is going to be a little bit technical now. Then the coverage solutions and things like this are very much the same. Like We believe in, in a lot of the same things on the basketball court, but we differ in different ways. Uh, level of intensity... Uh, attention to detail on defense. Our pace is probably going to be higher. Um, there's a bunch of things that will be different. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be very easy to spot, but some of it is going to be the same. Yeah, it sounds like you, what transitions will be faster because that is one thing that I noticed under Dan that you know, we tended to, uh, to to use the the time and position and to slow slow the clock down at times and and take time and position to to you know sort of build what we wanted to. It sounds like you you want to play at a higher pace. Yeah, you're pretty accurate with your analysis of you know, what we did in the past. Um, for me, there's kind of two phases to the offense, and there's definitely room to be more aggressive in the early part of it. Uh, something that I think we've missed out on and something that we've been able to recruit players to kind of maximize in this area. Isaiah and Will together give us a really fast backcourt. Uh, Tom Vodanovic can fly. Derek Parther in a five-man is one of the fastest bigs. And Nazarel, who's just... Uh, one man fast break. He rebounds, he pushes. So yeah, you're definitely going to see a team that's more opportunistic when it's in open court situations, but you're not going to see a team that rushes. Uh, level of execution is something that I care about a lot. And if there's nothing great there, then we will knock the clock and make you work and defend us. 
Yeah, good stuff, man. It's uh, it's exciting, uh, Marty. I'm looking forward to the season already. I'm looking forward to finding out who that last import is and seeing the roster come together. Best of luck to you and the team. No doubt we'll talk again before the season tips off. Uh, thanks very much for your time today. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Cheers. Uh, there we go. Marty Mayor, the head coach of the New Zealand Breakers, talking about Jarrell Brantley, uh, the building that roster as well for the coming season. And... Uh, I'm looking forward to that tip-off, as we said, uh, Melbourne United in Melbourne on the second, and then back home uh, to get the home season underway against the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers on the seventh at Spark Arena. It is 16 away from 10 here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. This is the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11 away from 10 here on Mornings with Smithy. Smithy away, Crook Ricardo in for him. Of course, a lot of talk in the last uh, 24, 36 hours around the Manly Seagulls, uh, their pride jersey, and players deciding that they don't want to wear it uh, and citing religious reasons. Des Hasler, the coach of the Manly Seagulls, had this to say yesterday. We are here today um, to apologise for a significant mistake made by the Manly Seagulls Football Club. Uh, as you are aware, uh, the club yesterday launched uh, a jersey for women in league round. Uh, the change to our traditional jersey was the application of rainbow colours uh, to replace uh, all the white spaces and the white lines. Uh, the intent of the rainbow colour application of our jersey was to represent uh, diversity and inclusion for all uh, utilising the symbolic colours of pride to embrace all groups who feel marginalised, face discrimination and have suppressed share of voice. The Jersey intent uh, was to support uh, the advocacy and human rights uh, pertaining uh, to gender, uh, race, culture, ability and LGBTQ movements. Sadly, the execution of what was intended to be an extremely important and pieing initiative was poor. Uh, there was little consultation or collaboration with key stakeholders, both inside and outside the club. Uh, sadly, uh, this poor management and project management has caused uh, significant confusion, uh, discomfort and pain uh, for many people. In particular, uh, those groups uh, whose human rights uh, we were in fact attempting to support. We have even adversely affected our playing group, a wonderful group of people comprising of many different racial and cultural backgrounds. We wish to ap sincerely apologise uh, for, for the mistakes we have made. We wish to apologise to the minority groups within the community who embrace the rainbow colours as a symbol of pride in who they are, what they stand for, and their impassioned advocacy to enhance basic tolerance and acceptance within the diversity and inclusion space. We wish to apologise to the LGBTQ community who embrace the rainbow colours to use these colours for pride and advocacy and human right issues has played an integral role for the inclusion and diversity of all minority groups. We acknowledge the role of the LGBTQ community has played in breaking down uh, the barriers for many other groups who also utilise the rainbow colours as a source of pride. We wish 
to apologise to the Australian Rugby League Commission, all of the NRL and the other 15 NRL clubs for creating negative news, shifting the spotlight from the launch of the Women in League round. We wished to apologise to our own playing group and staff for any confusion, discomfort and pain that the mistake we have made may have caused them. We accept your cultural beliefs and hope that you can accept our apology. So there you go. That is Des Hasler, who is a man in a difficult position, I believe. Uh, I think he's done made the best of a bad situation. I'll make this comment, though, and be interested to get your thoughts on this. He talked about apologising to those players who refuse to wear the jersey because it's got a rainbow on it because they didn't consult the players first. Do you reckon that they consulted the players before they design an Anzac jersey that they wear every year or consult the players before they wear a women in league jersey, which they wear every year because it's got pink in it, or a Indigenous round jersey? because it looks different. Do you think they consult the players before those or do they just expect the players to wear them because inherently you just have to be a halfway decent person? Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Just about 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings with Smithy. Ricardo in for him. He's away crook. A few texts coming through. This one from Cookie. Hi, Ricardo. I get both sides of the Manly Jersey saga. I don't understand why they don't just let the lads play in the original kit if they're against the Rainbow Strip. That way both sides can be included in the game and coexist. Isn't that actually the message they are trying to convey? Cheers, Cookie. Thanks for your text, Cookie. Keep those coming through. The temper bedpost text machine number is, of course, 8833. Coming up there in the next hour, Greg Murphy is going to join us after the latest in news and sport. We'll talk supercars and a few other things. On the panel today, it is Andrew Gordy and Mark Watson. We'll be talking Jason Ryan, the Warriors, and a few other bits and pieces. And after 11 o'clock, Shiraz Soysa, the head coach of New Zealand's national flag football team, will it be at the Olympics in 2028? Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.03 here on SENZ. Ricardo in for Smithy, who's home crook. Uh, we've got another one of Hawke's Bay's favourite sons on the phone, though, today. And Greg Murphy. G'day, Murph. How are you? G'day, Ricardo. Good, brother. That's a story, mate. That's a story. Looking forward to uh, this weekend at the Bend, mate. I guess the big question is, uh, can Andre Heimgardner go again? He, uh, he got his first win there last year. I'd like to see him do it. Um yeah, he, he got a win there last year, which was which was awesome. Different race team uh, than where he is now. I mean, it was a standout performance uh, through a pretty challenging sort of year for, for Andre uh, in 2021. And then uh, he departed Shores, which was Kelly Grove at the time, uh, which is now just Grove Racing. No Kelly involved anymore. And he uh, departed and went to Brad Jones Racing, which is, is showing glimmers of, you know, Really, really good performance, um, but just the the consistency again is lacking um, for Andre. But uh, you know, he I think he's pretty confident. Spoke to him last week at the launch for the um, IT Auckland Super Sprint, and you know he's, he's he's in a good space and he feels confident and he's he's pretty happy, which is really important uh, with his uh, his role at um, BJR. So. You know, anything is possible at any time, but I would really like to see him because he's a great 
great competitor, great young guy, um, and works hard, deserves you know deserves success. So I really like to see him start to be consistent up the front of the field, and you know uh, why not this weekend? Yeah, why not indeed? He, he did all right in Townsville, didn't he? What he got a fourth and a ninth, and I think he he qualified fastest at one point as well in the in yeah. one of the practices. So he's, the signs are there. Yeah, the signs are there. Um, I mean, we're talking about a championship that is is so close, so tight. I mean, a couple of tenths is making um, all the way through the field, you know, uh, you know, making big differences in where you qualify um, and where you sit on the on the on the um, the timesheets. So it's just one of those championships that, you know, once you start to get that consistency, you know, it becomes becomes quite normal uh, to 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 be, you know, um, in the top five or in the top ten on a, on a regular basis. And he certainly is inside the top ten on a regular basis, but then he's now got to be more consistent inside the five, and then, you know, then it's about getting podiums on a, on a regular basis. And, and you know, it, it is a absolutely challenging um, kind of thing to get your head around, and, and it's a challenging thing to do on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, and then, then obviously that's when you start competing for championships, right? That's uh, that, that's how that yeah. happens, you know. And uh, he doesn't have to look too far to see that because old Shane Van Gisbergen and another couple of wins at Townsville uh, the other weekend, and he he's just absolutely flying again this season. Ah, oh, it's a, it's awesome to watch. Um, you know, from a from my perspective, um, you know, just knowing, uh, you know, what how Shane operates and what is what his world revolves around and his world revolves around driving cars, you know, and, and um, his focus is purely, purely driving cars. That's all he, all he wants to do. Um, and it's, you know, his, his ability to, you know, continuously evolve and watching him on the weekend at Hawke's Bay driving his, uh, his Skoda and the Hawke's Bay Rally, um, you know, just the enjoyment he gets out of it, the effort he puts into it, um, you know, he, he knows... I would imagine, of course, he knows how good he is, but it's it's not enough just to sit on any laurel or sit on 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 your previous performance. He wants to continue to you know to smash the next one out of the park, and um, you know that's that's what he that's what he does. That's what it's all about, and you know it's awesome to watch him going about his trade uh, the way he does. And, and at the moment, he's just got everyone absolutely bamboozled on how they you know beat him and what they do to try and. You know, get it to get to his level at least, because he is a level above at the moment. As much as every other race car driver would would hate to admit that, it's just a fact. I mean, what he did at Townsville again was was you know was head and shoulders above um, everybody else in the field, and he's just he's just controlling that as he needs to control it, and just pull something out of the hat every time. It's it's sort of at that 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 time now where you watch him, and you just expect amazing things every t- every time he's on the track and um you know he's delivering those pretty regularly those those amazing things yeah, well, he's uh, 274 points clear in the Drivers Championship of Anton Di Pasquale, and you, you mentioned it feels like everything he drives make an Im- makes an impact including this Some great pit lane language there from you, Murph. How is your camera, your camera after uh, Shane took that out in the rallying car? Yeah, I should have I should have known better. Um, I put my GoPro uh, down 
on the inside of a corner uh, at, um, I think it was stage two, um, I think it was stage two at Rally Hawks Bay on, on Saturday and put it right down up against the bank um, in, a, in a bit of a sort of a water trace and uh, out of the way. And the first two cars that went through, um, no problem, miles away. Absolutely miles away, and then um, and they were you know that was Robbie Stokes and Ben Hunt who were very fast um, in the rally, but um, were a long way off the line on where my camera was. And then of course Shane Van Gisbergen comes through, puts his car exactly exactly where it needed to be on the fastest line through the corner, and um, you know he's he's millimeters from the bank with the right front of his uh, his Skoda. And, uh, yeah, it takes my camera out. So, I mean, I really should have known better. Um, it was going to be safe as houses for every other driver in the field, but um, for Shane, who just, uh, as I say, applies his trade at such an incredibly high level, um, he uh, turfed it down the road, and I had to go and pick up all the pieces. And uh, luckily the footage was still there. The, the memory card was okay. So, yeah, there's a bit of uh, coarse language and, and shows, you know, that, um, that uh, came out of my mouth when I... Watched him, watched him run over the top of my GoPro. So yes, there's a few videos floating around at the moment. Yeah, so I, I, I saw that this morning. It's R18. It's R18. Yeah, not not safe for work. That's for sure. Uh, although we just played it at work. Um, Murph, I was talking uh, to Eric Thompson the other day. He reckons um, that uh, when WRC gets here and we've got the WRC two cars running around, that uh, the Gizzy reckons would be worthwhile jumping on the tab for. What do you reckon? Uh, well, as, as in as in taking out um, WRC WRC two class. Yeah, you know? here in New Zealand when they yeah. when they race here. Well, I, I, actually, I, um, I haven't got the detail unless Eric does know where exactly he will be entered. Um, so I, I'm assuming, yeah, that he would be, being that um, the Skoda sort of fits into that that category of WRC two. So I suppose he would be, or you know, I'm sure there's a choice just to be NZRC New Zealand Rally Championship or, or whatever. I'm not sure on all those details, but you know, I, I expect him to be, you know, um, you know, right up there. I, I think, I think if, uh, if Hayden is running um, in WRC two, um, you know, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to be at the front of that front of that field, and and there's still going to be a gap between the likes of him and, and Hayden on a on a full blown rally. Um, and that's just experience, you know, from someone like him. And, you know, if Andreas Mickelson, who's, you know, running in, and there's a few other guys, I can't think of their names right now, running in WRC2. I mean, that's their trade. That's what they do full time. So there's going to be some some guys running in WRC2 that are professional rally drivers um, who will be, you know, uh, faster um, over over a rally stage than, than our... You know the Ben Hunts of the world and the um, Robbie Stokeses and the Shane Van Gisbergens of the world, just because they're professional. But as far as as far as you know, um, a part-time rally driver, you know he is going to be uh, right up there and, and very very fast. So a little bit, you know, I can't wait to actually uh, for Ripco Rally New Zealand because I just um, you know we're going to see the best of the best of the best, and and we're going to see uh, you know a great field of cars competing in that and you know in a international WRC. Uh, rally event, so it's going to be huge. Yeah, I mean, it feels like anything that he jumps into, he can make go fast. Um, Scott McLaughlin mentioned the other day about uh, Van Gisbergen going IndyCar. What do you reckon he'd go like in an open wheeler? I'd go brilliant. He'd be um, he'd be um, replicating, probably doing similar things to what Scott's doing in, in IndyCar, um, and, and in a very short period of time too. He, he he's the kind of driver like Scott McLaughlin that would adapt. 
very, very quickly to um, some new hardware and, and different styles of racing. I mean, he's proven it every single time he's got anything else. You know, uh, when uh, the Grand Prix last year, last uh, January, um, with the Toyota Racing Series cars, you know, he jumped in one of those and, and he's, you know, he's a bit oversized for a TRS car. Um, I was oversized for a TRS car. It was very uncomfortable and he's, he's taller, bigger than me, um, managed to fit in it and, you know, went about his trade and, and uh, won the Grand Prix from the back of the grid so or from the pit lane. So, you know, um, uh, he would adapt to uh, an Indy car um, like, like a lot of, you know, very good race car drivers would, but you know he is um, he's X factor like Scott McLaughlin, and and I would I would expect that you'd um, it wouldn't be too long if uh, he got the opportunity uh, to do something like that if he wanted to, which I don't think he does, but it wouldn't wouldn't take too long for Shane Vingersbergen to start um, causing some havoc at the front of the field and and making the regular drivers feel a bit average. Yeah, we've got a couple of Kiwis that are going going all right there at the moment, and Scotty McLaughlin and Scott Dixon. Uh, they both went. To, I think Scott got on the Scott McLaughlin got on the podium. Scotty Dixon just missed out, but um, Scotty Dixon he's he's there or thereabouts in the drivers' championship, isn't he? What is he tied second for with Newgarden? Oh, he's a freak. He's just um, he really is. I mean, it's it, he just never ceases to amaze. You know, um, he won the other week at uh, Toronto, and um, you know. He just continues to to impress at the age. You know, he's 42 or, or nearly 43 or something. Um, you know, and uh, the most experienced, most successful driver in the field by a long stretch. You know, just breaking records, still breaking records. You know, he's now equal all-time second on the all-time win list with Mario Andretti. I mean, you know, he is uh, he's an icon and um, one of, if not, you know, New Zealand's best ever sports persons, uh, sports people. I mean, he really is. He should be recognised for that more often. Um, so, no, it's, it's it's awesome to watch. And, yeah, Scott McLaughlin drove around the outside of him, though, at Iowa in uh, the uh, part two of um, their round there uh, in Iowa on the weekend and at a restart. So it was good, great seeing the two Kiwis fighting for the last uh, spot on the podium and, and Scotty Mack managed to take it away from Scotty D. So uh, very enjoyable watching. Yeah, Scotty, Scotty squared. It's great watching an IndyCar. This uh, season might have Hunter McElroy running around an IndyCar next year, the way he's going in Indy Lights. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful for him. Um, he's uh, turned things around a little bit, um, went through a purple... He uh, started the season Indy Lights, his first season at Indy Lights, uh, by putting it on pole at St. Pete. Unfortunately, crashed while leading, which which knocked him back a bit, and it's taken him a little while to get his um, you know, uh, feet back on the ground, pointing in the right direction, and uh, now he's, um, he is doing that. And, uh, you know, two wins on the trot um, uh, on the weekend. He, he was uh, probably a little bit fortunate, um, crossed the line in second, and then a penalty was applied to the, to the actual race winner. But you take those ones, and he was fast. He was on pole position again, led for a lot of the race. So... You know, um, another uh, a great points points haul for Hunter, and it's all about for him now just finishing the season um, with as many results like that as he possibly can. But I think um, I think definitely he has probably got the eyes of a few IndyCar teams uh, watching him very closely, and I, and he drives for Andretti Autosport and Indy Lights, and I'm sure based on. Um, how they're going at the moment and, and some of the uh, issues they've been having with drivers and, and bits and pieces, I would imagine that they're watching them very closely as a as a potential seat filler for the future. So, yeah, awesome to see Hunter doing what he's doing, works very hard and um, 
you know, has um, has proven he deserves to be there. Yeah, he does, mate. Uh, now, finally, before we uh, before we go, Murphy, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Pocky. Um, obviously, it looks like it's uh, going to be no more for motor cars. Uh, there's going to be uh, just horses. Um, where to next for supercars in New Zealand? And what are your thoughts about Pocky no longer being uh, somewhere that you can get to drive around real fast? Yeah, uh, just one of those really sad kind of. Uh, days when you when you get information like that and hear about that, um, you know we've just uh, got so many great memories of the place. I have, and and you know hundreds of thousands of other people have as well. And and um, you know it's just a just a such a historic iconic uh, racetrack for New Zealand. And the thought of it not being around anymore is um, you know just uh, yeah really I think sad at the end of the day. Um, you know the the county's Auckland Racing Club um, have decided that um, they see uh, a future for more uh, different kinds of horsepower there um, moving forward, and, and don't see that uh, that involves cars. So, I mean, it's their choice. Um, obviously, anyone that uh, goes to Pukekohe for cars doesn't agree with that. And uh, but um, at the end of the day, that's it's their land; they can do what they bloody well like with it, I suppose. So, mm. um, I, I doubt there was uh, would have been much of a uh, conversation about it um, in their in their board meeting. But um, they've made the call, and and we will all suffer because of it. But um, you know, fortunately, Hampton Downs is only just up the road. Uh, it's an amazing. You know, world-class facility. I mean, at the end of the day, if we want to be brutally honest about it, Pukekohe, the circuit itself, is is something that we love. Um, and racing on that circuit is, you know, is second to none, really, as far as thrills and, and the buzz, because we don't have circuits like that anymore. Uh, maybe Teratonga, actually, is probably the next one that comes close to that, as far as a buzz and a thrill and fast and flowing and probably a little bit dangerous. Um, but the, the rest of the facility at Pukekohe is, um, is, is well below par, unfortunately. Uh, and has been for a long time. So Hampton Downs, you know, fills all the gaps. Uh, it is a great racetrack, um, and it has an amazing facility, and it's, a, you know, truly really just a no-brainer that um, moving forward, supercars will just um, set up shop in, in Hampton Downs. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just assuming because that's the logical, the logical um, you know, uh, replacement. Yeah, good stuff, Murph. Thanks for coming on today, mate. Always good to chat. Go well and enjoy your weekend, Thanks, eh? Good on you, bro. Cheers, bro. Uh, Greg Murphy there with us on Mornings with Smithy. Uh, no Smithy today, of course, Ricardo. And for him, when we come back, the panel, Andrew Gordy and Mark Watson join us. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.24 here on SENZ Mornings with Smithy. No Smithy today, Ricardo in the hot seat for him, but joining us on the panel uh, is Andrew Gordy. How are you, sir? Not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. And uh, Watto, Mark Watson, uh, good morning to you, sir. Morning to you, Ricardo. Morning to you, Andrew. Uh, Gentlemen, uh, we had uh, Jason Ryan's first presser in the All Blacks camp yesterday. Uh, Gordy, I know you were there for it, mate. Uh, honestly, oh. what, a, what a breath of fresh air it, it, it was listening to Jason Ryan talk rugby from an All Black perspective. Yeah, look, uh, should point out I wasn't there, but I was uh, I was watching uh, very closely, and I've got to say I was so impressed by his media performance yesterday for, for a whole range of factors that I'll, that I'll go through for a start. I mean, this guy really does come across as confident without being arrogant, which I think is exactly what the All Blacks need right now. Um, and I just love the way he was so brutally honest about 
what the problems are with this All Blacks team. You know, in your first media conference describing the All Blacks forward pack as dented, um, and and just talking about how the need for honesty within this team, uh, if they if they're going to go about changing the things that need to be changed. And I also love the way that he talked about his relationship with Scott Robertson, which we all know about. We all know those two are very loyal to each other. Um, but the way he spoke about that, excuse me, um, really gives you the impression that Jason Ryan isn't just Scott Robertson's assistant. He's his own man. And he's been offered the chance to coach the All Blacks forward pack. And, and actually, when you stop and think about that, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, this is a guy who has been outstanding. He has been an outstanding performer with the Crusaders over recent years. He deserves this opportunity, regardless, really, of who the, the head coach is. And, and I think the other thing to consider, and I loved how he was asked, you know, can, can you understand the irony of previously being on, being on Scott Robertson's ticket when he applied for the All Blacks job, and, and now you're on, on Ian Foster's team? And he just simply said, I'm on the All Blacks ticket. Now, I love that. And, and I think any, any Kiwi, any All Blacks fan would love that because this is a guy clearly who's not just a crusader. He's, he's a proud Kiwi, and, he, and he's really strong about trying to help this team to get back to where I think we all know they should be. Um, so, no, hugely impressive first-up performance from him, and I, and I think there's promising signs ahead. Well, I'll tell you what, Ollie Ritchie does a damn good Andrew Gordy impersonation then, because I heard that yesterday, and I was sure it was you that was asking that <laughs> first question. Um, Mark Watson, we should come to you, mate. Uh, Jason Ryan, uh, obviously we just took, uh, heard Gordy there talk about the way he spoke. Your take on on that appointment, and the fact, you know, I don't know if you've heard this rumour, but it, it seems to be one that is gathering steam that, the backs coach for the All Blacks uh, post-South Africa is going to, probably going to be Leon McDonald, which will mean it's two of the blokes off Scott Robertson's team when he applied for the job will now be part of that All Blacks team. Um, does that just mean that we've got the wrong bloke running the thing in the first place? Well, I, I think it does. I think just listening to Andrew there, and I thought um, his overall summary um, was fantastic um, of uh, Jason Ryan. Uh, look, I think, Jason Ryan coming out and identifying what's wrong with the All Black forward pack. I mean, why hasn't Ian Foster been able to identify that? I mean, he's been in the role since, what, 2020, and suddenly it takes somebody from the outside to identify it, which, again, just says to me that Ian Foster is not the right guy for the job here. Uh, you'd like to think that he has been told, look, you've got two tests in South Africa to sort it out, or you need to fall on your sword. And I think, I, I can't see us winning two tests in South Africa, even with the changes. I, 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 look, there's a cynical side of me that sort of sees the inclusion of Jason Ryan, if we're going to end up seeing Leon McDonald, how much of this is just a bit of a PR move. Uh, clearly very good coaches, and clearly, you know, uh, and certainly Ryan is, is going to be fantastic for the All Blacks. Um, but, you know, we saw it, I remember back in the day when John Hart lost five tests and sort of suddenly, you know, Todd Blackadder was made all-black captain and that was sort of a little bit of a PR move to sort of try and just keep the public at bay, particularly down there in Canterbury. So, look, two very good coaches, but the big problem is we've still got Ian Foster in charge and um, until that changes, I still think the all-blacks are going to struggle. I don't think we've got the player personnel out there at the moment. Um, you know, I'd like to see us do a little bit of a, a sort of what we did back in '86 when we had the um, you know, we had the Cavaliers too, and we had to have a little bit of the baby blacks. I think it is time for guys like Kurt Eklund to come in and just sort of freshen things up a little bit. And some of these players that I think have been quite dynamic, Alex Hodgman, um, as, as another example. Uh, look, I don't think it's about a revolution; uh, it's a subtle evolution. Um, but yeah, look, it, it's. 
it, the whole thing is just 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 an absolute mess. And you know, we used to have this sort of no dickheads policy, and I, I just want to segue a little bit and feel free, Andrew, to jump on the back, but. You know, here we are, a group of All Blacks walking through the airport without masks yesterday and asked by a member of the public, and the comment was, oh, just chill out. Um, you know, and then about an hour later, we've got the All Blacks putting up on social media all the players getting $5,000 watches. And now this is a sponsorship thing. Yes, they want to leverage that sponsorship. But when is New Zealand rugby? I mean, for the resource they've got, how stupid are they? Have they got no idea about reading the room at the moment? Completely and utterly inept. And, you know, going back to the Justin Marshall and the bar situation, I don't want to get into that, but I've got a lot of time for Justin, but why on earth are the All Blacks actually even out after losing a test, two tests to Ireland in a row? Why are they out partying? Why are they creating that perception? I mean, the culture, it's, you know, a fish rots from the head down. Something fundamentally is wrong in this All Black team. You can bring in all the coaches you want, but there is something fundamentally going wrong in New Zealand rugby at the moment, and it needs a major clean-out. And unfortunately, I think Mark Robinson is probably another one who needs to fall on his sword at some point. Yeah, there you go. You, t- you mentioned fishheads. Fishheads have oft- often been pointed at as the uh, as the problem. Uh, Watto, this is the panel on SENZ Mornings with Smithy. We'll continue it after the latest in news and sport with Araha. Big Opinions, the panel. It is 27 away from 11. This is the panel. Andrew Gordy and Mark Watson with us before news and sport. Watto came off the long run, Gordy, about All Blacks not wearing masks in the airport, telling people to chill out, and then everyone getting $5,000 watches. Uh, Your take on on, on, on what what Watto said there? Yeah, that was a, that was a, a passionate uh, passionate speech from from what I even by your standards, what I really appreciated that, mate. That was good. That was good stuff. Look, let's. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. To be fair, um, let's go with the mask thing. Um, now, let's let's be clear. Your blacks should have been wearing masks. Okay, Let, let's get that really straight. But I'm really reluctant to use this this example as a stick to beat them with. I mean. Let's face it, they are not the only people in this country who have been maskless when they should have been wearing one over the last you know, few days, weeks, months. Um, and I think you only need to look at the COVID numbers in this country um, to see that that's the case. And people will say that you know, these guys uh, uh, should be setting an example, and yes, they probably should be setting an example. But look, there are people in this country who are responsible for setting policy relating to this pandemic that have been caught not wearing a mask when they should have been. So again, I'm highly reluctant to take aim at the moment. This. Um, these guys are rugby players at the end of the day. And I, I think the other question for me is actually, like, how were they even allowed into Wellington Airport without wearing a mask? I mean, I've, I've certainly had times where I've turned up to Auckland, Auckland Airport during this pandemic, and um, it's been made pretty clear, like, you're not coming in this building unless you're wearing a mask and you, and you show us your vaccination status and all this sort of thing. And if this is still something that we, we as, a, as a country, uh, are, are being asked to do, wearing masks in certain places, then, you know, th- this is something that should be enforced, no? Um, and then we wouldn't, we wouldn't be having any of this sort, this sort of issue. Um, in terms of All Blacks not being allowed out um, after a defeat, yeah, I can understand why it's, why it's not a good look. And I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what was going on in that video, which, uh, which clearly showed Justin Marshall and Akira Iwane in some kind of um, conversation, shall we, say, shall we say, to put it mildly. But look, um, I think we've all heard, heard of the term drowning our sorrows. I'm not suspecting that, um, you know, not saying necessarily that, that that's what was going on. But look, these are young men at the end of the day. I'm not going to deny them a chance to to go out, so there's nothing there to suggest that they were behaving inappropriately that night or, or misbehaving. 
So, I'm, again, I'm reluctant to lay the boot into these guys. I know you're probably going to say that I'm sounding a bit weak here, but, um, look, again, I, I, just, I just really feel like these guys are rugby players. They're young men. Um, they're not going to get it right all the time. And, but certainly there's nothing to suggest they did anything wrong after that defeat uh, to Ireland and Wellington as well. So, no, nah, fair, fair play to you, Wada. I, can, I, I appreciate the passion, and I can certainly understand the point of view, but... Uh, yeah, we might uh, have to agree and disagree on this. Yeah, I think it's it's just for for a lot of people, Mark. It's it, it's just how it looks, isn't it? You know, you're out on the booze till five a.m. or whatever it is after you've lost back to back tests. Uh, I think people, all black fans, New Zealanders, want to see a bit of contrition and maybe just keep your head down. Yeah, look, I think it's a perception thing that I'm dealing with. It's like, you know, they've got you know at the moment. Um, you know, they're much maligned. There's a lot of anti-sentiment towards them. You don't say to a member of the public, hey, just chill out. That, to me, is the attitude issue. It's not so much about the issue of wearing the mask or not. It's more of a way that they spoke to the public, which was quoted in that stuff article. Um, and it's just that whole, I'm a bit too cool for school mentality. Uh, look, you know, I would have thought at the moment, because they're so heavily under the spotlight that they'd want to be on their best behaviour and it just amazes me for the sheer amount of resource that they continue to just get this so wrong, so, so wrong. I know so many athletes who, when they have disappointing sporting results, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to go out. I just cannot for the life of me understand why they would go out to a bar after losing to Ireland. Uh, The perception is, hey, we're out there having a party. That's the perception and you've got to deal with perception. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, you have to deal with perception these days. Well, I do know that the All Blacks had booked out the uh, the some some bar at the in the in the uh, in the hotel they were staying at for them to get together and have a drink afterwards. I I, I assume that they expect them expected them to stay there, and it doesn't look like that's where that video was taken. But let's move on anyway, gentlemen, because uh, we we should talk about uh, the NRL. Um, as I, I had Scott Bailey from the Australian Associated Press on the other day, and he said, "Who would have thought on a weekend?" Where a guy gets done for eye gouging, it's not even the third biggest story in the NRL. Um, we've got uh, Manly wanting to do these pride jerseys. Uh, they've filled the white gaps in the jersey with a rainbow. Uh, that apparently um, has been a problem for seven of the team who have decided they don't want to wear that jersey. And we saw yesterday uh, the coach come out and say, look, uh, De- you know, Dez has to come out and say, look, we, uh, we, we've got to apologise because we didn't consult the players on this. And I'm like, really? Because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't consult the players on your Anzac jersey design or your woman in league jersey design or your indigenous jersey design. You just expect them to wear it because it's just the decent thing to do and you only have to be a halfway decent bloke to do it. Uh, what was your take on it, Gordy? Yeah, um, similar to you, um I sort of look at this and and say, why is the club apologising? That's the bit that I don't really understand. Like they, their intent was was perfectly fine and perfectly understandable. I think to probably, you know, the vast majority of the population um, when it comes to considering this matter. And I suppose that I'm, I'm I'm sort of trying to do the maths on, on that. What, why are you why are you apologising? But while they're saying we should have engaged with our stakeholders, we we should have engaged with our players. Now I then go. So what would have happened then? So you talk to your players, they make it clear they won't wear the jersey. So then you pull out of the jersey and you don't do it. Now what's the message you send if that's the case? Because that to me then says you value two competition points above the values of inclusivity, and you're either an inclusive club or you're not. So. I, I was a little bit disappointed that Manly, and why did Dez Haslett front that, by the way? Surely it's a CEO's issue, not a, mm. not a um, club coach's issue. 
But anyway, Des Hasler did his, did his best reading, reading the statement. Um, I think they've, they've made a stand as a club to say they're an inclusive club. And, and they're basically asking the players to make a choice. And the players are then having to reveal how they, how they feel about this. Um, equally, guys, I, don't, I certainly do not agree with the stance of the players. But equally, if they decide they're not going to play, then that's up to them, um, I think. I think it's, um, yeah, again, a super strict. I do not agree with that. But if it's their choice not to play, it's their choice not to play. Mm, yeah, I mean, what I I scratched my head at this one, mate. Especially, you know, I uh, heard through a few people that I know that Toff Sipley has a a transgender sibling, so I kind of wonder where this puts them and and you know in that in that whole uh, situation and why he is one of the seven referring to wear it. Well, I always felt that far far fine, a big part of Samoan culture, particularly I was you know when I was at school, a number of kids that identified as far far fine. It's always been. Um, accepted within that culture. Oh, look, I just find religion just full of hate these days, and this is all this is. It's just hate. It's hypocrisy. More than happy to have their indigenous realms, um, which to me is, you know, you could argue, you, you know, that's as political. If they want to talk, make this a political issue or a, a religious issue, whatever it is. I mean, uh, you know, would they if they were picked up a serious concussion, were suddenly required, you know, brain surgery, and the best guy to do it and yet a small chance of survival happened to be a gay man or a gay woman, would they suddenly throw the religious card in front of them? I think not. Um, you know, you've got a jersey that is covered in sports betting logos. The stadium's named after a brewery. I would have thought those two things would be far detrimental to society um, than promoting um, inclusive, you know, being in- inclusive um, and-, and saying, hey, we're a club about everybody. But what they've also got to realise is that they now actually put the club at financial risk here. Most companies that do get on board, uh, get behind the NRL, are, do give, you know, do have the rainbow tick here. Uh, hey, if you don't want to play, don't get paid. Don't put your hand out. Um, it's not just being a bunch of hypocrites. You know, religion is about love thy neighbour. It's about inclusivity. And oh, I just think there's an awful lot of bloody ignorance that goes on amongst some of these players. And I think a lot of it's just grandstanding. And, yeah, I think they just need to sit down, get a guy like Ian Roberts around the table and just get a little bit of education. Yeah, well, that's the thing too, isn't it? The ir- the irony on that, Gordy, is that Ian Roberts, the first uh, openly gay man to play rugby league, is from Manly. Yeah, exactly. And look, what, geez, and, and man, is he an impressive guy. How impressive is Ian Roberts? Like, just hearing the way he spoke yesterday, uh, which then obviously goes and um, prompts you to go on YouTube, Ian Roberts hits uh, on YouTube, and my goodness me, that guy was like a brick wall, wasn't he? And the toughest, <laughs> one of the toughest men to ever play the game, and just so impressive when it comes to speaking about this issue as well. The other point I just wanted to touch on, guys, is... I think everyone's looking at this and going, um, you know, how, how does it make the, the transgender and, uh, you know, the LGBTQIA um, community feel uh, with, with the stance that they're taking? Um, I, I think there's a, there's a flip side to that. The seven now who have said they're not going to play, they're now going to have to, at some stage, explain their actions. And, and they will have their moments of being made to feel awkward and like the outsider as well, because... They will have to face the media at some point, and you can bet the Aussie media will not miss their chance to make those players feel like they are they are they are the excluded ones, like they are not, um, you know, I suppose in line with with the beliefs of of their teammates and and the wider community. So, I, I, in a way, I'm sort of looking forward to that moment, I suppose. Um, 
And, and I suppose the other thing to consider, and I did sort of read a, a story yesterday which suggested that there was a young, um, young gay player at, at Manly who is not out um, and has just been left devastated by this. And that's, that's the really sad thing, I think, in all of this. It's meant to be, you know, we've had examples, obviously, recently uh, in the A-League um, where we've had players feel, feel, you know, brave enough and confident enough to, to take the step to come out. And that's what you want to encourage, right? And for it to have the opposite effect on someone who's playing at Manly is, is really sad. But, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm looking forward to these seven having their day where they have to stand in front of microphones and explain why they're not prepared to wear this jersey. And, and let's see how they respond to that. Yeah, nicely said, nicely okay, said. Yeah, yeah, what well, Ricardo, just, just finally, look, it wasn't actually that long ago, was it? You know, we keep going back where, unless you're European, and a lot of societies, a lot of countries, particularly those with colonisation and stuff, where it wasn't that long ago, where unless you're European, I mean, let's be honest, there was, um, you know, um, you were segregated against quite heavily. It's taken a long time to get equality, particularly for um, non-European people. A lot of work done in that area for for inclusiveness and to break down a lot of those barriers um, and I, I find it funny that you know um, those very same people haven't actually learned any lessons themselves and now are happy to hey we've got you know we're, we're included we're inclusive but hey we don't want to be inclusive of others so I, yeah, I, I, I just I just don't get it yeah alright gentlemen just before we wrap uh, the Com game starts on Friday which one event are you not missing at the Com games Watto? High jump. High jump. Yeah, well, I've been privileged enough to go to four and call it high jump final. Just so much drama, mate. Men's high jump final. Watch that. Great theatre. And and you, Gordy? Well, I'm 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 surprised you only gave Watto one. Like, surely Watto's just watching back to back coverage of the Com Games over the next two weeks, aren't you, Watto? got to be the case, doesn't it? Well, I, I, I'm struggling a little bit because I tried to desperately get a gig through the uh, host broadcast and I couldn't get one, so I just went to the World Games in Alabama. And not being there, does I'm not going to lie, it makes it a little bit harder to sort of watch it. But yes, you're right, Andrew, I will be watching more to walk. Gentlemen, thanks very much no. for joining the panel today. Really appreciate your time. Cheers, thanks. Cheers, guys. Uh, Andrew Gordy, Mark Watson there. Uh, you can catch Watto here on SENZ tonight. He's filling in for me as I fill, on for, fill in for Smithy. He will be the host of Extra Time for you tonight. It is a quarter to 11 here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> it's nine away from 11 and uh, no one loves racing like uh, Louis Herman Watt loves racing. G'day, mate. Nay. Nay. <laughs> <laughs> Doing your best Mr. Red impersonation, mate. Uh, what's big for you today and uh, from, from Love Racing? Well... Cambridge Synthetic. Mm. After all of these issues we've been having where the country's been getting flooded, uh, yeah. Lake Dag, etc., and Rotorua being binned on Saturday, well, the Synthetic never lets us down. There's a lovely seven-race card. We've got four $40,000 races with Martin Collins being involved there. And race number four in particular is hot. It is a stacked field, and Kelly Keeper has taken a lot of cash, 10s into 7s, number 9 in race 4. Kelly Keeper and Annie down the bottom of the book with my two Smokies, but everything so even in that race. One horse we've been tipping out all winter long on the synthetic 
is far and away. She's won the first time. She ran second the third time. She ran third the third time we tipped her out. We're going to tip her out again today, and she's going to go back on the loop, and she's going to go back to winning. $5, $2, I think you can just go each way. It's another really even race, as most of these are. And then my best for the day, I said it earlier in the show, and I think it's still the case, Burbazia in race number five, over 970 metres at the Cambridge Synthetic. Beautiful, mate. Thank you very much for coming on for you. Our Love Racing update. Loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews and more. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings with Smithy. Uh, no Smithy today. So, Pip, you stuck with me. Uh, how's, how's things at the tab? You all good? Yeah, good, Ricardo. Good morning to you. Of course, not too much on for sports today, but we are looking ahead to an exit round for the NRL round 20 and the biggest bet in the head-to-head market 3000 on the Roosters now at $1.25 no surprise with Manly's main players being out of contention and then also another 2500 on the Roosters at 13 plus at 230 and for the Storm of course they play the Warriors back at home for the Warriors 1.8k on the Storm head-to-head at $1.23 to bounce back and maybe not lose five in a row Ricardo and then uh, Manly head to head were two dollars and thirteen on Monday morning. They're now out to five fifty. And just quickly at Cambridge today on the synthetic, one thousand dollars has been placed on a horse uh, in the market. There called is that so at two thirty in race number six. Okay, is it? So I just had Louis on before you came on, mate, and uh, he's tipping out race four, Kelly Keeper, which I think's come in from about tens to about sevens. Yeah, it certainly has been a little push for that. So I think one to keep safe on the synthetic and does have a good form record there too. Indeed, mate. Uh, anything else that, uh, that, that catches your eye? Uh, not to, not at the moment, but I will say one thing. Warriors, of course, they always are back well at home and, and do check out those winning team and margins. Even if they uh, manage to pull off a win and you get the incorrect margin, you can get the bonus back up to $50. And that's available in all the games as well, Ricardo. So maybe worth having a look at a couple of tight games. You've got the Panthers and the Eels. No Jerome Luai. So, and the Eels, the only team to beat the Panthers, could be a way to play them at 1-12. to 12. But you know what they're like? Uh, very in and out, so hard to follow. Yeah, they are, mate. i tell you what. They beat the good teams, lose to the rubbish teams. As an Eels fan, I can, I, I, I can tell you what the pain is like there. I can imagine, Ricardo. <laughs> but I'm sure they will lift. There is something about them playing the Panthers, so I'm sure it'll be a good game. Yeah, the Battle of the West, mate. The Battle of the West. Good stuff, Pip. Uh, go well. Thanks for coming on. See you later. See you later. Uh, there you go. That is your TAB update. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18, the latest in news in sport, just around the corner. Zealand, in terms of this sport, would be quite competitive given our Sevens rugby background, our rugby league, our touch football background. I mean, uh, all of those sports, I would imagine, would the skill set would be similar in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. So we went to the we went to the World, World Cup for the first time in 2016. We'd never played the sport in New Zealand, um, and you know we, we were sort of we finished mid table, but we could have easily been in the top. And it was just a few things, you know, with a lack of experience that sort of let us down. And absolutely, we've got the natural skill set. Um, the key thing is how how well we keep developing quarterbacks. You know, everything you said is right for the skill position guys, but it, you've still got to have that quarterback development. That, that works well. Uh, Producer Logan here, I've uh, jumped over from the kitchen into to the main studio because uh, I'm really fascinated by this too, Shiraz, and thanks for coming on. We talk about flag football versus uh, tackle, like the normal uh, American football. Is it the same kind of positions? Is there less players? or 
Yeah, so so what it does is it shrinks the field down. They've realized that, look, you're not going to emulate an offensive line and a defensive line. They've taken that element out of the game and kept all the other positions in place. So there's still four wide receivers and a quarterback. Um, one of them's a center who also goes into a route. So it's basically the skill, the, the, you know, take away the running game, and it's the entire passing game part of the NFL, which, to be fair, is where all the fans and the attention really come from, right? So, so that, that's a concept. They've taken the tackling part out of it, but they've kept sort of a basketball level of contact in play. And, I mean, we, we love playing against Australia, right? New Zealand v Australia, that's always a big thing in any sport. What, what are they like in terms of flag football at the moment? Yeah, so Australia, historically, at the senior level, have been sort of a, a, a bit above New Zealand. We've always been there or thereabouts at the youth level. Um, we've been ahead of the game in terms of flag compared to them. They're, they've ramped up a program now, and we're going to be playing them on an annual series going forward from the end of this year. Um, but, you know, the, the, the proof's going to be in, in, in that first matchup. So we haven't actually played them, but there is going to be a regular series going forward. How, how does blocking work, then, if there's only basketball-level contact? I mean, I know, so in flag football, right, you've got tags around your waist, and that's how you tackle somebody is you pull a tag off. So can you stop somebody rushing the quarterback by pulling a tag off? How does that work? No, so, so the rusher gets a free run to the quarterback, but he's got to stand seven yards away from the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback's about another 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. So he gets about 17 yards that he's got to get the quarterback on, which is sort of the quarterback's clock, essentially, right? So the quarterback can't block him. And that, that's that's one of the rules. He gets a free run, but he can he can break him down and evade him, you know, and buy a bit more time. So, quite often, quite similar to the contact version, you'll get to you'll get to go through about three quarters of your progressions, and if you make a move, you can get to the back end of your progression as well. So, it, timing wise, it works quite well. And can the, can the quarterback Randall Cunningham it and just go? You yep. know what? I'm just going to run this. Yep. Well, so so you can do that. You've just got. There's a little bit of a trick you've got to you've got to do. You've just got to um, flick the ball over and then back to the quarterback. So it's not the first receiver. But absolutely, that's a big part of the game now, and it happens a lot. One thing you see with you know traditional American football is that it's it's a game that kind of it attracts and makes use of many different body types and shapes and you know your skill level, your athleticism. What about in flag football? Uh, I mean, Ricardo and I are, are bigger dudes. Is there room for guys like that or, or, or girls to play that game? Oh, look, uh, I think the, the good thing about flag football is it's come up as a grassroots sport, right? It's not, it's not been a, you know, it's a professional level down um, sort of approach. And, and by doing that, you come down to any of our weekends of flag football and there's all sorts of players around. And what, what coaches do is they put them in positions to succeed. So if you've got someone who's, you know, a bit bigger and, and potentially better as a position guy, They'll run a scheme that, that caters to that. And, and so you know, you'll, you'll go around and you'll see a whole bunch of players who usually play, you know, O-line, D-line, having a go. Yeah, well, I mean, the I remember a few years ago uh, talking to a guy who was working with the NFL in New Zealand. He was based out of Christchurch, putting flag football in the, in the schools there. I mean, how, how, what are the participation numbers like? So contact football for the last sort of 10 years has been at a point where it, it's, it's stagnated and they've sort of gone, look, how do we grow the sport? As soon as flags come in, we've seen numbers massively increase. I think we've had about a two- to three-fold increase in the last couple of years just because of that, because you, you attract a whole bunch more of a participation-based player. You get, you get players coming over in sports like basketball who don't necessarily want to play the contact version and eventually maybe give it a go, but it's, it's, been, yeah, it's been great for it. And the, the contact, uh, you, know, you talk contact football, flag football, of course, the, the contact football, they have clubs like, you know, your yep. Tamaki Lightning. Does uh, uh, it work the same for the flag? So you can go join the Tamaki Lightning and play flag football for Tamaki against yep. one of the other Auckland clubs or however it works? So the way that we've broken down the season at the moment is we've actually got windows. So we've got a flag window and we've got a contact window. So 
what we've also realized is players who play both actually get their skills developed across the board. So, so yes, the, the leagues, and this is a real credit to the leagues, they've actually catered to both formats of the game and, and had that. You talk about, you, know, you sort of mentioned the basketball side of things, and that's the sport in New Zealand that's really erupting at the moment. And a lot of that comes down to accessibility and, I mean, just the cost of being able to play. When you look at, like, traditional American football, there's a lot of pads, there's a lot of gear going on there. What What's the kind of barrier of entry to play just traditional tackle football versus flag football? Yeah, you know, you, you, you're dead right. Um the, the challenge has always been that it's it is a very expensive sport to play. On average, it costs about a thousand dollars, and this was you know pre pre COVID prices of everything going up to get out a player. Um, you know, you, you look at getting out forty to fifty players a year per club across multiple clubs. That's a lot of cash you've got to raise. We do get grant funding. There's all sorts of stuff around that, but it just it reduces the overall ability to to grow. Mm. Um, what this does is it really brings in it changes that dynamic. Um, so, so yeah, and that's where internationally, that's where the growth has been as well. Uh, when do you think we will know about LA twenty twenty eight? When do they announce that? So, I I believe they want to get something locked in by the end of the year, right? And, okay. and that's what Vision twenty eight has. It's it's sort of a it's not a long term plan. It's a it's a get across the goal line mm-hmm. um, plan. Um, pardon my pun. Yeah. Um, but um, that, that's sort of what they're saying is they're, they're right on they're right on the goal line. They just want to get it over and finish the job. Yeah. Uh, you know, American sports in general have got a big part of uh, the New Zealand sporting psyche now. Particularly, you know, Stephen Adams in the NBA, of course. Uh, we've had players successful in the MLS. Um, and and, you know, less recently, um, but, you know, we've had people like Dave Dixon that run around the NFL. It is more visible now than it has ever been probably, right? And Are you noticing the, the curiosity of people wanting to play it has gone up as well? Yeah, oh, look, I think, I think one of the best ways I can sort of summarise that is we used to get players turning up to trainings having no idea. Right, yeah. no idea about anything. They turn up to trainings now, and they're helping. They're trying to write up game plans for the coaches because they know so much about the game yeah. that historically they wouldn't. You know, they can come up with defensive schemes. They're like, "Well, we'll slow it down. Let's try and teach you how to, <laughs> to run a route first. But but it, it, it's it's amazing. You know, between watching it and playing Madden, yeah, um, it, it's it's been a massive for the sport. Um, another reason why we wanted to get you on, Shraz, of course, uh, there's the Player Pathway Combine Series that's about to get underway around New Zealand. You talk about guys just showing up potentially have never playing before what's what's the goal around that like i mean we we've spoken before where it's the sport is starting to blow up in europe uh, how does how do kiwis traditionally go in picking up that sport if they've never done it before yeah so the, uh, let's starting off with the player pathway program what's happened there is you know the, the nfl is obviously the, the only real Top tier paid league around the world. You then got the CFL, which is based in Canada. And that's sort of that's a decent second option, and they've got sort of smaller leagues in the states. But Europe is now is has always been big into American football, but they've finally got a lot more professional about it. Um, what they've realised is actually one area they do lack um, a lot of talent is is big guys and guys in the trenches. Yeah, and that's what places like you know if you look at the story of American Samoa, they're the by far per capita the the place where most players, professional players, come from in any part of you know the world. Uh, and New Zealand has a lot of that. We have a lot of the same type of players, and it's just about giving them the opportunity. You know, there'll be there'll be guys running around who who sort of meet all the body type characteristics that they want, but just haven't played a lot. And coaches will go, look, you know what? I can't coach a guy to be big and fast, mm. 
but I can coach a guy who's big and fast to do a bit more, you know. So, so there is that. There's also a lot of so we are seeing a lot of players go through the college program at the moment through through New Zealand, and those guys, you know, if they can't make it to those top end leagues, now have the chance of of doing this. And that's actually how this came about. It's a couple of guys who went down those pathways, played college football, didn't quite make the NFL. Now are you know top players in Europe. Coaches seen them and gone, holy, you know, how, how many other players like you are there? Let's go find New Zealand and Australia. So, God, this isn't the first year that you've had the uh, player pathway program here in New Zealand. Do you have any success stories uh, of people going over to Europe and he's making a name for themselves? Yeah, look, um, we've got a couple of players recently. I think the the big one we've had recently is Lance Liotta. So he was a um, uh, he was a defensive tackle who went over, pl- played football here at the age of sixteen. Um, big kid went over, played college football for a couple of years. Um, came back got picked up by this club and so he played for our club and in, in another club the South Auckland Raiders as well got picked up by um, a European team on a you know we've seen his film let's give him a go and he was their, their star defensive player he's then been able to open up um, you know the, the floodgates and bring more players in we've also had a couple other players go over recently and play in the top German leagues um, uh, who've also done really well so so absolutely there are some some success stories there yeah, I mean Jordan Mailata, but uh, you know, is a success story. I think he's Australian, isn't he, Jordan? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I know he's at the Philly Eagles. I mean, given and the, one of their best players. Yeah. Well, given the success of that, um, are you starting to see individual franchises start to take interest in New Zealand and Australia because of that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. So they've always the problem about. So there's there's the international player pathway, which is what Jordan Mailata is, and and for that you. It's a very, very top end of athletes. What we're seeing is a lot more interest out of colleges with the feeder systems to the NFL. Um, and those players, um, those guys are the guys who really have the opportunity to spend a couple of years in a coaching system uh, and then maybe potentially work their way up. There's been a couple other players, Lonne, who just um, finished a five-year program, I think, at, at Cal recently. Um, and he came out of out of the Auckland junior system, you know, um, and, and you know maybe didn't quite make it to the NFL, but I think he's going to be in the XFL pretty soon. It's cool to hear that there is guys like that that are making a name for themselves and finding a pathway, especially when, you know, maybe if rugby or rugby league or, one, you know, their first chosen sport didn't work out. If someone was to show up to one of these pathway uh, programs around New Zealand, what are they going to find themselves in for? So, so yeah, so, so the way the NZAF, that our national body, sort of structured these is there's three levels. So you turn up to the bronze camps. And that's just for everyone, so anyone can turn up to them. Mm-hmm. You then progress to the silver camps for a select few group, um, and then for the for the guys who are really at the top end, knocking the door, they go to the gold camp, and that's where we bring international coaches in. Um, and each of those players, you know, um, get get evaluated. Some of them might get taken over for different leagues, um, but the idea is that we've got a system now where we're a little bit more strategic around how we put players forward. You know, historically we've had really good player connections by a few individuals you know you Jason Buckers of the world who who know coaches around the states and and that's you know it, it was seen as sort of if, if that doesn't happen there's nothing else so we're trying to add uh, more connections there yeah uh, I mean the I remember seeing there used to be a, a London based team in the in the European NFL for want of a better term of it that doesn't seem to be there anymore but man there's a lot of teams out of Germany yeah so so the NFL had a thing called the NFL Europe for a few years, um, they sort of they abandoned that, but the the residual effect was there was a massive pop uh, of you know uh, fan base over there. Mm-hmm. They sort of spent a few years trying to figure out what they want to do. They've now created something called the um, ELF, which is sort of a, a professional league, and that's that's where we're targeting. 
Um, and a couple of those clubs have rejoined that. So the Ryan Five, for example, are back in there. But yeah, that's that's that sucked up that vacuum. And absolutely, Germany and Austria, for whatever reason, yeah. have been the absolute drivers of American football in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just looking through the teams: Berlin Thunder, mm-hmm. Cologne Centurions, Frankfurt Galaxy, Hamburg Sea Devils, Leipzig Kings, yep. Rain Fire, Stuttgart Surge, the Vienna Vikings. Um, yeah, I mean, those. I think there's about three or four teams that aren't yeah. German or Austrian based. You know, yeah. very very heavily that way. Um, and, and is there any? Pathway. I mean, you're talking about pathways, but is there any direct contact with you know any of these clubs that yep. they've got a, a you know a, a foot in with, say, the Tamaki Lightning? So, so the Leipzig Kings have just taken a couple of our players, yeah, and they're some of the coaches coming down from the Leipzig Kings, and we're hoping to get a few other clubs as well. Um, but they're they're basically the main group that that we've been in contact with, um, and, and a couple of our players there who are bringing coaches down that, that are really open the doors, and, and we expect you know. Based on that success, it's a cop- all of these are copycat leagues. They see someone doing it well, and they'll start emulating it. So, how did you, as a Kiwi kid growing up here, get involved in in, in American football and NFL? What, what was the appeal for you, and how did you end up playing? Yeah, look, my story is actually quite different. Right, I I, I played basketball and Ameri- and rugby uh, for a number of years, and, and we sort of one year we went look pretty keen to pick up a summer sport and. Made in mind for whatever reason for American football, and we just went down to a Tamaki Lightning training and and sort of fell in love with it at that point. You know, it was um, a much different sport that I think, in particular at the time, my skill set fit a lot better in. I was a a winger, you know, and 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 quite often club rugby. If you don't, you know, if you don't get the ball, you don't get the ball. But in American football, you sort of um, you, you get opportunities and you get to sort of be part of crafting a, a scheme, and it's a bit more a bit more of a chess game, and I uh, enjoyed that part of it a lot more. With the with the combine series that's coming up, one thing I'm curious about there, you, you see, like Aussies seem to love to export former Aussie rules players to to college football and the NFL, and you see them in punters and kickers. I remember Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I feel like you couldn't go five minutes without them mentioning that uh, Mitch Wisnowski was from Perth. <laughs> yeah, honestly, every five minutes. What about what about New Zealand with this combine series here? Are you looking for every position imaginable? Yeah, well, I mean, look, Australia has always had a natural, um, you know, in with with punters um, and, and to a degree kickers as well, just based on on, on how transferable AFL was. Um, I think for us, realistically, uh, in the short term, anyway, it, it's going to be alignment. You know, guys, uh, big guys who've got that got that quick twitch and that ability to really explode. You know, guys potentially who are almost a little bit too big for modern for modern rugby and league, mm-hmm. um, but with that with that size and skill set, naturally trans- transfer to to American football. What about for guys like me and Logan who've got who are, who are naturally big slow twitch guys? <laughs> Uh, well, I think I can make a, a spot for you, but it'll be um, it'll be helping me with a clipboard at this stage. But no, look, look um, the, the 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 reality is, uh, at club level, you know, it's it's a very um, participation based sport. It's it's you know you, you'll come down to any of the contact contact leagues around the country, and you'll have players at various stages, and that's that's part of it. You, you need every single person in the community to make those top end athletes, um, you know, able to play the game. Speaking of that, with you know the sport growing around New Zealand, how many like what is there in terms of clubs around the country if someone wants to get involved? Yeah, so at the moment, um, you know historically, we've had Auckland, uh, Wellington, and then a little bit of Christchurch. You know, uh, as of sort of ten years ago, but 
recently with how Flag has um, allowed the game to grow. A lot of regions have popped up based on Flag and now are starting to transition to contact. So we've got Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga just recently, Hawke's Bay. We've even got a club in Turangi. We've got um, Wellington, Nelson, Christchurch, and now Dunedin, all with um, all with leagues and clubs, and most of them are flag. Um, a couple of them are now transitioning to contact, but that's a natural pr- progression that they can make when they're ready. Yeah, uh, and there's different versions of contact as well. There's a five-a-side version, there's an eight-a-side version. If they don't quite have the numbers, um, but but we we'll still want to give it a go. I was curious about that because when you look at a game of NFL, they've just the size of a of a team is immense. When you've got offense, defense, and special teams, what about here in New Zealand? Are you are you playing both offense and defense? Uh, look, historically, there there has been a bit of Ironman football. Um, the, the problem about that is when you do that, it's more a it's more a I guess a fitness test rather than a actual, you know, skills test. And you're not, you're not, you know, the whole concept of football is doing everything at your absolute max on each rep, and, and you can't do that at that point. So, if you go to the if you go to the Auckland competition now, um, you know, which is which runs eleven eleven aside comp, you'll see about thirty to forty in some clubs, even fifty players on the sideline, just because, especially those top clubs, you will have a couple of clubs that are down to about twenty. But teams that they rock up with eleven players in the modern day, you just can't. This is not feasible, really, to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, from either side. Uh, you mentioned rocking up uh, the, uh, the Tamaki Lightning to just to try out for a summer sport. Did, when you went there, had you played Madden? Did you have a football team that you followed in the NFL? Uh, look, I, I I had a peripheral um, enjoyment of watching a few Bears games because I was a big Bulls fan from the from the nineties. Yeah, um, but no, not at all. I, and I was probably a little bit unique in that. And and and, and we found American football completely randomly rather than trying to go out and find find the sport. But, yeah, um, no, not, not not for me. But a lot of players do. Yeah, right. There you go. Well, you're not exactly the fridge, so. No, no, exactly. <laughs> it's not many, not many Sri Lankans running around playing American football. He's going to put it that way. Fair call, fair call. Shiraz, thanks very much for coming in, man. Really appreciate uh, getting some insight into flag football and um, the work that you're doing. And uh, hopefully we hear about, the, you know, flag football being at LA 2028 and we can maybe put together a... Uh, a New Zealand team for that. Uh, actually, on that, do we have a, a name for the New Zealand yes. team? Yes. So the New Zealand team, it was named in 2016. It's the New Zealand Marco. Uh, and that's a name for the men's and the women's yeah. teams as well. Yeah. Have you talked to Tasman at all about well, this? The, it's <laughs> funny enough, actually, it was pre-Tasman also changing their name to the Marco. I mean, they were the, the Tasman Marcos at the time, and, and we were the New Zealand Marcos. But um, their, their brand's obviously, you know, grown quite a bit, and, yeah. and, and, and we just haven't changed our name, so we haven't had a formal conversation with them. Yeah. I just get them the way New Zealand teams not normally name themselves. I, I was assuming, yeah. you know, we would be the Black Flags, but I thought Henry, yeah. Henry Rollins might rock up with a lawsuit, so you never know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not quite sure about that one. I think, I think at the time we just wanted to pick something that was that sort of matched what we were trying to do, which was fast and aggressive. Fast and aggressive is what it's all about. Shiraz, thanks again for coming in, mate. Been a pleasure to chat. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Ricardo. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, no worries at all. Uh, this is SENZ. Mornings with Smithy, not too far away for your chance to play Stumped with Smithy. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.29 here on SENZ. A couple of uh, things come through on the temper bed post text machine. A range of mattresses and adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Uh, 
Thanks to Aidan, who's texted through, saying Clive Allen used to play for Spurs and QPR, I think, maybe even England as well, uh, played for the London Monarchs as a kicker back in the 1990s, uh, talking about American football out of Europe. And uh, also Gavin Hastings, the former Scottish and Lions international, played for the Scottish Claymores when they had a team as well. Thanks very much for your message there, Aidan. Uh, news out of the Phoenix camp, they have made another signing for their women's team for next season. Uh, Brianna Edwards is signed on. She is another goalkeeper, so she'll back up Lily Elfeld for the uh, starting role there. So uh, that roster building nicely, seven players they have now announced. It is uh, bang on 11.30 here on SENZ Mornings with Smithy. It means that Stumped is up next. Do you want to play Stumped? 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. A $50 TAB bonus bet could be all yours. We'll do that after the latest in news and sport with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, pad up and grab your bat. It's time to get stumped on the SNZ mornings. Not with Ian Smith because he's uh, t- taking a rest day to look after himself. Hope you feel better soon, mate. But we do have Ricardo in the hot seat. He's brought in his smelly old wicker-keeping gloves back from high school. <laughs> how, how do you think you're going to go, mate? Uh, not sure what the what the options are, so I, I'm going to withhold uh, picking, uh, giving myself any props until I know what they are, to be fair. Fair enough, fair enough. No confidence there. So I, I hope our callers are feeling confident <laughs> themselves. Uh, up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet. Before we get into it, I mean, yesterday was an interesting one with our our phone lines uh, unable to reach uh, our listeners. So we had a couple of staffers uh, come in. They will remain uh, nameless at this point to avoid any further embarrassment. So, Jake and Neepy were terrible, weren't they? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Threw them under the bus, didn't you? Yeah, well and truly. So hopefully, Ricardo, you can restore some faith in this station with your sporting knowledge. But first up. At the crease, we have Reed from Gore. Come and read. G'day, guys. We bit worried. Ricardo's got some fairly good sporting knowledge, so it could be could be a good competition. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. The challenge that he's he's thrown down the gauntlet. Yeah, he's he's laid it down. He's ready. He's done the haka. Let's go. The categories to choose from today, Reed. Uh, the Commonwealth Games basketball or rugby sevens. Take your pick. Oh. Uh... We'll go um, Rugby Sevens. All right. Good luck to you both. Of course, uh, very much looking forward to watching the Rugby Sevens at the Commonwealth mm. Games myself. First question to you, Reid. Women's Rugby Sevens made its Commonwealth Games debut in what year? Oh, I'd say probably... Was it 2018? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That's right, 2018 Gold Coast Olympics. This is crazy to think because men's rugby sevens, Ricardo, made its debut in 1998 in Kuala Lumpur, so ah. quite a gap there. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I thought it was earlier. I was, I was probably going to pitch in around 206, so I'm glad I didn't didn't come to me, so well done, Reid. Well, at least you didn't pick a non-Commonwealth year like someone did yesterday. Anyway... <laughs> Second question, at those 2018 Commonwealth Games, who scored the gold medal winning try for the Blackfern Sevens against Australia? Um, oh, I, mean, I don't even actually 
playing these days. I was playing Sevens, but I'm pretty sure she was Sarah Goss, maybe. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Good guess, but over to the keeper, standing keeper Ricardo Ball. Yeah, uh, that's uh, really stretching my memory now, going back all that way. Um, Who else was in that team? Um, I'm going to go with Gail Broughton. Mm. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, incorrect. The correct answer, and I'm going to play it here one more time just in case staff is listening because I know it, it pumps them up, it was Kelly Brazier. Can they counter? Straight down the middle of the park goes Brazier. The chase is on. Who is going to win? New Zealand. Brazier for the corner. Brazier's got the pace. Brazier will score, and New Zealand will win the gold medal. Yeah, so he's hoping that they can uh, repeat those feats this year in Birmingham. Last question, Reid. Everything's still on the line with the $50 TAB bonus bet. New Zealand first struck gold in Rugby Sevens at those 98 Commonwealth Games. Name one of New Zealand's three try scorers in that 21-12 win over Fiji. It's just obviously gone to men's, is it? Yes, men's rugby, sorry. Yep, 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 yep. Um, or... All right. 1998. Was it 98, you say? Yep. Um, I'll go Jonah Lomu. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Very good guess. I mean, Jonah, the great late great Jonah Lomu, yes, part of that team, did not score a try in that final, though. Ricardo. I don't even know who was in that team, to be honest, because my memory doesn't go that back that far. So I'm just going to go with one of the heroes of New Zealand Sevens from over the years and say Eric Rush. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Again, Rush would have been a, gr- a, gr- a great guess, but th- I was either looking for Dallas Seymour, mm-hmm. another legend of the game, Caleb um, Ralph, or Christian Cullen. Oh, was Kelly playing Oh, that, that was my second one. Here you go, Reed. Well done, mate. Well, so by default, that, <laughs> you win, Reed. What are you looking at yeah, this weekend, Reed? What are you, what's that fifty dollars multi? Where are you going to put it? You reckon? Um, yeah, I've sort of looked. Love, this last few weeks, I've had a bit of success with the NRL, so um, yeah, might, might have a little look at that. Yeah, jump on the Roosters thirteen plus as an anchor, mate. Given uh, Manly are a bit undermanned, as it were. Yeah, under man, I see that actually. It could could definitely be a good option. Yeah, I think they're paying about a dollar thirty seven, thirteen plus at the moment. So that's it's not a bad anchor if you're going to chuck uh, another couple of legs in there. What are they paying? You say dollar thirty seven or two dollars thirty seven? A dollar thirty seven, thirteen plus now because uh, yeah, Manly are with, oh. uh, yeah are so down. Because when I looked at uh, when that news came out, the first thing I did was uh, jump on the TAB, and at the time, I think you could get the Roosters for about two dollars thirty five. Um, thirteen plus. They were the favourites, but it's blown right out now. Yeah, they're oh no, they're a dollar fifty seven. There you go, dollar fifty seven. That's that's pretty good coin. But Manly were like, I think head to head were about three twenty, and they're now out to five fifty. Ah. So I had a yeah. look at that seven those seven players that they've got sitting out. Six of them were in the starting thirteen last week, and and uh, and the seventh one was the fourteenth man. So uh, it's it's basically half the team. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, Reed. Go yeah. well, mate. Uh, no. Thanks for playing, and uh, congratulations. Cheers, team. Thanks very much.
There you go. You too can play uh, Stumped. It'll be back again tomorrow at 11.30. Another $50 TAB uh, bonus bet up for grabs. This is SENZ Mornings with Smithy. Of course, no Smithy Ricardo in the hot seat for him today. It's 20 away from 12. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a quarter to 12 here on SENZ. Mornings with Smithy. Hopefully Smithy is uh, well rested and back with you tomorrow. Mark Stafford is in the chair, of course, from 12. He's going to join us shortly and talk us through what's coming up on the show after midday. I'll tell you what's coming up on breakfast tomorrow morning. They've got Matthew Ridge in the studio. So that'll be one to tune into. I hope the uh, producer's got the dump button ready. Uh, but it uh, should be uh, should be a good chat. Ridgey's always uh, a bit of a laugh and be, uh, be getting uh, good to get some great stories out of him. Uh, a few things I wanted to touch on. I was just going back I was drawing a blank on sevens, particularly going back to 1998. I mean, what are we talking, 24 years ago now? Uh, But I was thinking about that. I I looked up the New Zealand team from that 1998 uh, Common Games. Uh, Amasio Valance, Bruce Rayhana, Caleb Ralph, Christian Cullen, Dallas Seymour, Eric Rush, Joali Videri, Jonah Lomu, Rico Gear, and Roger Randall. That was a stacked team. Just all icons of the game. Yeah, stat. I wonder how they'd go in, in today's game. Uh, but also a name that uh, that popped out for me when I was looking around at um, the Aussie team was David Campisi was playing for the Aussies in '98 at the at the at the Com Games. I kind of thought I had, for some reason assumed he was over by that point, but obviously still running around. Campo, the legend. I remember that uh, that Campo goose step um, and the Fijians, of course, who we played in the gold medal match. Um, Marika Vunabaka was part of that team as well so some big names uh, running around at the Com Games in 1998 um, and I don't know if you've caught this but Crusaders coach uh, Scott Robertson been a lot of speculation over his future he was just doing a podcast with uh, Jim Hamilton the former Scotland international talking about what he wants to do and he says if New Zealand rugby want me great uh, if there's another club or country, probably country, I wouldn't go to a club right now. I really want to go to a Rugby World Cup. I genuinely want to go to a couple. I'll be 40, I'm 47. I'll be 52 by the time the next one comes around. And I want to go to two or three and test myself, push myself. I'm open to offers. Now, uh, that would suggest that, that that's a bit of a hurry up for New Zealand rugby, isn't it? It's like get rid of the guy that you got running the place down and give me the job or you might not be able to get me. To me, that says, England, keep your sticky mitts off Razor. Well, I tell you, I had Chris Foy on uh, last week on the Extra Time, mm. who's the head rugby journalist for the Daily Mail. He was in Australia with the England team. He said it could G for the, that last test in Sydney. Razor was with the, with the England camp for a couple of days. Oh, I'd be surprised if you don't light up the temper <laughs> bedpost text machine with that little nugget there. Yeah, uh, so I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Are they, you know, is that a succession plan once uh, this World Cup's done that raises the next Eddie Jones? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're hearing Eddie Jones, you know, Rugby Australia potentially trying to get their their hooks back in, but Eddie also saying that he still very much has the dream of coaching the Rabbitohs. He mm. wants to coach the South Sydney Rabbitohs. That seems to be a dream that he's had for a long time. So if he was to go and do that or go back to Australia and either coach you know, rugby league or rugby union, that opens the door. Who was the last international rugby union coach to coach an NRL team, Logan? Here's a question for you. Oh, you're putting me on that. I'm putting you well on the spot. And head coach, head coach. Not talking about you know an assistant or a skills coach or something. Uh, I mean, the only name I could think of 
is uh, Sir JK, but I know that's going to be wrong. No, that is wrong. Uh, but uh, Alan Jones used to be the uh, the head coach of uh, the Wallabies, was the Wallabies head coach, coached the Balmain Tigers as well. <laughs> so uh, could Eddie Jones be the be the next one? We will see. We'll, we'll, we will see. Uh, looking forward to seeing what Staff's got to say about that when we get him in. He's in the studio next to tee us up for what is happening from midday here on SENZ. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.